Thanks, Nay. Amazing. Hello, everybody. For those of you who I haven't had the joy of meeting yet, as Naomi said, I am Emily, um, and I help to run this service with Tom, as well as be the kids' pastor here at St. Aldate's. Um, in case you missed last week, Emily Berry, and different blonde called Emily, and there are a few of us around, uh, she kicked off our, our new teaching series this term, which is called Questions, Questions, Questions. And we are going to take the next few weeks together as a community to dig deeper into some of the questions that Jesus asks us in the Gospels. Um, so it's my joy to be here and explore our second question of this series. Um, so let's jump in together. If you can open your Bibles or load your Bibles, whatever floats your boat, um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And I'm going to read it for us this, mor uh, this morning. Gosh. It's late, isn't it, guys? So Matthew 8.23 says this. Then he got into the boat, he being Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, for those of you who've been around church for a while, uh, you probably would have heard this story once or twice. It's quite a kids' church classic. Um, and even for those hearing it or reading it for the first time, it has the potential to sound like a mildly dramatic story in the disciples' walk with Jesus, um, but then one that we can kind of move past and move on to the next story. But I really want us to pause for a moment and take in what's actually happening here. Matthew tells us that suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. Now, furious storm in many ways underplays what Matthew's trying to capture. The translation of the Greek used in this verse is, and excuse my pronunciation, um, the phrase is megas seismos, which kind of says what it does on the tin when you think about it. Megas means exceedingly great or high, large, loud, mighty, or strong, and seismos means earthquake. Um, but in this context, we know that they're out on the water, so it's a bit more like a shaking of the sea, a bit more like a tsunami vibe. So guys, this is a serious storm, tsunami scale. It came out of nowhere. Like, think of those moments when you're all snuggled up at home, blissfully unaware of the world outside, and then you hear that first roll of thunder. And then you hear the wind coming so strongly, you feel like it's going to burst through the glass of your windows. And then you hear the rain, and you feel like it's going to come through the ceiling. Think of that worst storm you could imagine just coming out of nowhere. It's terrifying. And now Matthew tells us this storm was bad enough that the waves swept over the boat, not just some little droplets or some sea spray, but entire waves were sweeping over the boat. Imagine the chaos of that. And remember, this is 2,000 years ago. These aren't like state-of-the-art yachts. These are like simple wooden fishermen boats and with water rushing on board. And in all of this utter ridiculous madness, Jesus was asleep, like full-on sleeping. And I think it's tempting to find this part very comical. I mean, it is. 
um, and then just move past it again. But we need to digest this. Terrible, terrible, furious storm, mega seismos, water sweeping over the boat, and Jesus is having a good old snore. And in these times, the sea was a symbol um, of power, of great power. And in Jewish writing, it was, it was a dark place. Um, it was a place seen that was dark and full of evil. It was threatening. And here is a boat full of Jewish men out on the sea, the place that was supposed to be seen as dark and powerful. And there's an almighty storm, and their Messiah is asleep. So they do what I think any of us would do. And they wake Jesus up and they plead for his help. That feels quite sensible. And so in some ways, I find Jesus' response quite surprising. It's really blunt and it's really challenging. You of little faith. It's like, wow, what a start, Jesus. Not like, well done, guys, for waking me up and asking for my help. Like, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And I don't think he was just a bit peeved that they're waking him up from a nap. And I don't think that he was trying to be sarcastic or jovial. He was asking them a genuine question and challenge. Why are you so afraid? And then he calms the storm, just like that. It kind of feels a bit sassy from Jesus. I like it. I kind of almost picture it as the disciples are like looking at Jesus and there's this big storm going on behind him. And Jesus is looking at them going, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And gets up and just like, storm gone behind him, still looking at them like, I'm waiting for your answer. As suddenly as that storm came on, it was calmed even quicker by the power of Jesus. And in that moment, when I'm reading it, I realize Jesus' response is entirely valid. It's completely appropriate because he is God. He is powerful. And in this moment, he's demonstrating that he has authority over all creation. And the disciples should know this. After all, they were the ones who got to follow him everywhere and witness all of the miracles. But how do they respond? They say, what kind of man is this? Like you don't already know. You know, you spent all your time with him. But um, historically, they actually probably wouldn't have seen this kind of miracle performed before. Um, there were, there were like historically um, healings and deliverances were kind of a thing that they might have seen in some kind of like voodoo witchcrafty sense, but an, a miracle with the natural elements would have been quite a surprise. This was like next level that someone had spoken to the winds and the waves and said, stop. And I think in this moment we're witnessing the time where the disciples are realizing that Jesus is human, but he is also fully God. Even the winds and the waves obey him. They're like, oh, okay, he really is the real deal. Like he really carries all the authority. But still, Jesus' question is, is really on point because actually what the disciples should have done is they should have trusted this about Jesus with all they'd seen so far, with believing that he was the one that was meant to be sent with them, with all of the teaching that he had given them, they should have had faith to know that Jesus was this kind of man. And that's why he's calling them out. Because we can't wait around to see every miracle, every act of God that God's gonna perform, just to believe that he is who he says he is. Because, and if we do, that's not really having faith, it's just believing fact. And so Jesus is still asking us this question today in our metaphorical storms of life or even in actual storms. 
he asks us, why are you so afraid? For the note takers out there, it's our first point this evening. Now, I think it's important to recognize that fear is not always a bad thing, right? Um, it's not always an unhealthy thing. It's a, it's a response or an emotion that can help us to stay safe. We live in a broken world and bad things happen and fear is part of a safety response of looking after ourselves and others. I was about to start this story with when I was little, um, but I'm not gonna lie, I still do it now. Um, but we'll roll with it. When I was of a younger age, <laughs> um, and a, but an age where I could be left at home on my own, I decided it was time to make a foolproof exit plan, just in case the worst happened and someone broke into the house. I thought that was smart. Um, so I had two main plans. Number one, being attacked in the shower. For some reason, this was like the thing I was really fixated on. I was convinced that one time I'd be home alone having a shower and I'd shampoo and open my eyes and someone would just be there. So I felt like I needed to be ready for that moment. And I decided the best plan would be to turn the shower onto boiling hot, pelt the intruder with my water, kip, kip, kick him in the kahunis and then squirt shampoo in his eyes and then run away. And I was really convinced if it happens, I'm gonna be fine because I know what my plan is. And then the second one, it was if I was watching a movie or some TV, in the lounge, my parents had these like candle holder stands with a slight spike on the top that you could put your candle in so it wouldn't fall off. And I thought, it's fine, I'll just sit there with one of these. If anyone comes in, I've got like a bat and a stabber and then I'll be totally fine. And the funniest thing about all of this is, is I lived in a household with two full-size German shepherd dogs, the kind of dogs that can like bite through human bone, but I thought my metal candlesticks were like the best idea I could come up with. But the thing is, even though I think I at points obviously took that to unnecessary extremes, small amounts of fear can be helpful to aid us in being thoughtful and being prepared. And so it's not always a bad thing, but it's not a healthy thing when fear controls us. And not when we are so overcome with fear that we actually live out of a place of fear, of people, of places, or of situations. And especially not when fear takes our eyes off Jesus and decreases our faith. Because we have to take a moment to stop and actually think about who Jesus is and actually appreciate who Jesus is and actually start to believe that our God, that our Lord Jesus is sovereign, that he is powerful, the most powerful, that he has overcome death, that he does carry authority over all dominions and powers and rulers, that he is the first and he is the last, that he is God almighty. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. No world leader, no terrorist, no crime, no struggle, no past mess up, no future worry, no global issue, not even the devil himself. The Lord God is Father and he's Son and he's Holy Spirit and he is above it all and he is the light of the world and he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life and he is our saviour. And some of us might not be there yet and that's okay. We might not know Jesus in this way yet. And some of us may well have forgotten the magnitude of the God that we follow. But that's fine, because I'm telling you now, this is the God of Christianity. This is the Jesus that we believe in. And if this is Jesus, and he is our friend, and he is our savior, and he has already won the battle, and he's already promised us eternal life, if we choose to follow him and let him make us into a new creation, then I'll ask his question again. Why are we afraid? And please hear me when, I'm, when I say I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to make this sound easy. 
We're human and we're broken. And like I said earlier, we live in a broken world. And bad stuff has happened to all of us in different ways and that has made us afraid. There are genuine things going on in our lives and in the world around us that make us afraid and I'm not trying to underplay that. And I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed and I'm not trying to make it sound like it's super easy to stop being afraid. I'm just here to try and lift our eyes again and remind us who it is we believe in who it is who walks with us every day, who it is who has our backs, and who it is who has promised us that we will live forever in his glory on a new, in a new earth where there is no more fear. Because if we truly believe that our God is who he says he is, and that he is always for us, then we should be full of faith. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? When we say yes to Jesus, the problems of life don't just disappear. I'm sure most of you know this already. We don't instantly gain some free pass and magically get to avoid all suffering and wrongdoing. We're actually a promise that there will be trials and that there will be suffering and there will be struggles because the message of the gospel is offensive. Jesus is controversial. His teaching rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way and that's still true today. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. God knows best, and if we believe that, then we have to endure what comes our way. So there will be storms. But as author Max Ricardo beautifully puts it, it's not the absence of storms that set us apart. It's the one we discover in the storm. It's not the absence of storms that set us apart. It's the one we discover in the storm. Everyone faces storms. Atheists, Jews, Muslims, New Age spiritualists, millionaires, celebrities, criminals, we all face storms. But Christians have one thing that no one else does. They have a God who stands with them in the storms. A God who has overcome the ultimate storm and a God who promises to walk with them through the storm to the other side, even if that's not in this life, but in the life to come. We always have a friend in the storm. So when we're in the trial or in the struggle or in the rough patch or in the terrifying situation and we hear that faint whisper from the Holy Spirit, why are you so afraid? The question we need to ask ourselves is, where is your faith? A really close friend of mine has very old, very wise, very cool grandma um, who's in her early 90s. And uh, last year he asked her a really simple question. And he said, Granny Alice, after all your experience of life, What's one piece of wisdom you like to pass on to your kids and to us, your grandkids? And she said this, keep your faith. That was it. In her 90 year plus of enduring life, and she really has endured a lot, like if you've seen Call the Midwife on TV, that literally was her life. Um, her best piece of wisdom in all of that is keep your faith. And so when we sing things like, I put my trust in Jesus, and when we pray that prayer, when we give Jesus our life for the first time and we say, I choose to trust you, Jesus, or when we get baptized, we make that public declaration that we're gonna follow and put our trust in Jesus. Then the funny thing is, we actually have to trust Jesus. And sometimes trusting Jesus feels like doing the most epic trust fall you've ever done in your entire life like off the top of the cliff with Jesus all the, way, all the way down the bottom, kind of big. And it can feel huge. 
But God is the loving embrace that we fall on every time. The loving arms that will always catch us and we just have to cling on and we have to have faith. Even when it looks like the storm will never go away, even when it feels like our lives are ruined, even when it feels like there's nothing worth living for anymore, even when we're coming up to two years of a global pandemic, he promises to never leave us and never forsake us. So we need to live like we believe that and have faith that God will always pull through because it's all well and good to proclaim that Jesus is sovereign or the son of God, etc., etc. But do we actually approach him in a way that says he has authority over every, every area of our lives? And I know I don't. I find it really easy to pay God a lot of lip service, but I'm super quick to be in the middle of a stressful week and say, God, I'll see you at the end of it because I just need to get through this and get all my stuff done. So if any of you find it hard to have like a deep daily faith, don't worry, I'm there with you. <laughs> and the disciples were there with us too. This is the part of the story we also need to remember. That the ones that Jesus is challenging here are the disciples, like the disciples, the people who spent every waking hour with him, who watched him heal people, who watched him deliver people, the ones who believed they were following God and yet they still didn't get it and they still lacked faith. And even people like the Roman centurion had more quick and like instant greater faith than they did. But it takes time, but it's important that we fight for it. I really feel tonight that God is wanting to challenge us to give it a try because it won't just transform our lives. And it won't just make us less fearful and instead full of faith. But if we really take seriously the call to put our whole trust in Jesus, it also carries the power to transform other people's lives too. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Who do they say you are? Last week, Emily was speaking to us on the question that Jesus asked of, who do you say I am? And if you missed it, do go back and listen because it was awesome. But now that we've explored that question and we've established that God is who he says he is, we can now look outward and ask, when people look at us, and the way that we're living, are we living our lives in a way of boldness and being full of faith that those same people look at us and say, what kind of people can these be? Just like disciples ask, what kind of man is this? Can people look at us and say, what kind of people is this? And of course, we're not pointing to ourselves here. That's not what we're trying to do. In fact, perhaps a better question is, who do, you, who do they say you are and then who do they say Jesus is because of that? When people watch the way you live and listen to the things you say, what kind of image of Jesus are they developing? Our responses to life and life storms say a lot about the God that we follow. Like how many of you have had people stop you and tell you that they see something different in you? or there's something about you that makes you different from everyone else they've ever met before. People can see Jesus in us, but we have to be diligent in making sure they see the right Jesus, that they see a God who is big and powerful and who overcomes, but one who's also tender and loving and gentle and who will never leave us alone in the middle of the storm. Through our acts of faithfulness, people can see and encounter Jesus, and that's really cool. Like, I can't help but think, and I'm really chewing on this, and I could be wrong, but 
I can't help but think, what would people have thought if they saw the disciples try and stop the storm first? Like, imagine you were a person from the crowd who was there early in the day, and you're sitting on the shore, looking out at the lake, watching the chaos take place. But there are no running and screaming disciples. There's no one frantically trying to get water off the boat. There's no one trying to jump overboard to get to land. But there are a group of men who stand at every part of the boat and who look outwards and who begin to pray, in the name of Jesus, winds and waves be calm. It's just a cool idea. Like, we have to be careful to not make this about us. I'm not saying we should start praying bold, bold prayers and performing miracles so that people look at us and go, wow, isn't Emily really powerful and really miraculous? No. But when we pray things in the name of Jesus and when we follow the teachings of Jesus and we live to proclaim the name of Jesus, people can see something of God through us. Like if, take, you know, humor me, if the disciples actually did this, it wouldn't be them stirring up some kind of power from within. But it would be a response where they go, okay, team, it looks like we're in danger right now and Jesus is asleep, but we've spent X amount of time following him around. We see the power he carries and he's told us that we can go on and do what he does. So let's pray like he prays. Let's have faith that because he's here in this boat with us, we're in the presence of the Lord God, that if we pray in faith in his name, then this storm could stop. And we've got it even better now because we live in a time where we know that Jesus has overcome. And we live in a time now where we have his Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we actually do carry that authority to pray these big prayers and see miracles happen in the name of Jesus. And they don't, they don't always seem to occur or they don't happen in the ways that we're hoping them to happen. And maybe they will be a mystery until the day that we're reunited with God. But let's start getting excited for what might actually happen if we start being full of faith and pray in the name of Jesus. It's attractive and it's alluring. And right now, people are desperate for something greater than themselves, for some sign of hope and for some sign of purpose. And we can show them the very one who died for them, which means they never have to be afraid again. Jesus has conquered death once and for all. And really, this life is just a bigger lead up to the next one because that's what it's really all about. The true life, the complete life. We have our happy ending. And we have the chance to bless other people with that happy ending too.